You know, when I was in college, uh, you know, of course, I went to uh, Bible college, and uh, we would, you know, talk about the Bible and things related to that quite often. And one of the things we always talk about was our testimonies. You know, we talk about our testimonies, and you know, we had chapel five days a week, and we had cha- uh, Sunday morning service usually, Sunday night service, Wednesday night service. So we heard a lot of sermons and uh, a lot of uh, testimonies and whatnot. And some of us would always say, man, just wish I had a lot better testimony. You know, mine is so boring. You know, we'd always say that. We'd say, you know, some people, you go hear their testimony and they years of battling with drugs and alcohol or whatever. And then me, I got saved when I was, you know, a little kid and I never battled drugs and alcohol, right? And so we would say how sad it was we didn't have a good testimony. And the guys that did have a good testimony or the girls, they would say, those are my testimony building years, okay? It became a joke. Oh, back in my testimony building years, right? And of course, we knew that maybe those things weren't so good, but we kind of wish we had a better testimony. And as you go on with life and as you see people go through these struggles, those of us who had no testimony building years, we had no experience with these kind of really bad things, right? We just kind of knew about them abstractly. We heard the testimonies, we heard other people talk about them, but we had never experienced them ourselves. And then as you go through life and you see people going through these really difficult times or they're battling with very difficult things or their addiction or, or, or whatever it is that they're going through, you suddenly realize like, Oh, the lucky people in Bible college weren't the people that had the testimony years, right? Testimony building years. The lucky people, the ones who didn't have the testimony building years. I'll take a simple testimony over not having to go through all that pain and all that suffering and all that difficulty that sometimes life can bring us and sin can bring upon us. And so today we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 13 and verse 1. And for chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it really focuses on the gospel. And I don't necessarily talk about the gospel message every week. I try to talk about what's in the text, but this week, the text really brings us to the gospel, and we'll see that today. So if you could give me to verse 1, I, I don't seem to have it here, and you might have to get me to every verse after this. Let me push a few buttons. Yeah, you're going to have to help me, Rachel. Is that all right? Okay. If you guys don't know Rachel, she's a big help. You guys probably didn't notice, but we were crashing and burning during half those songs there, and you guys probably didn't even know. And the reason you didn't know is because people like Rachel were helping us out, making sure that uh, it wasn't too big of a distraction. As we sing and we worship God, we want it to be as least distracting as possible. So we go on to 1 Corinthians uh, 13, starting at verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong... Oh my goodness, I gave you the wrong verses. It's chapter 14. This is really rough. 15, yeah. Guys, I'm going to have to go with the analog system. Can you, yeah, that's quite a, I have more reaction than I get from anything else from you guys. Yeah, okay, so now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. This is sounding right. Okay, now I don't have my notes with me, but uh, we're going to, this might be a short message. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, and lust you believe in vain. So he's telling them, he's reminding them, 
of the gospel he preached to them, which they received. And so this is not too hard to deal with, but then we get verse 2 and it says, and by which you are being saved. Which you are being saved. So and actually some other translation, it's even more confusing. It really sounds like that you can lose your salvation. Why are we being saved? Isn't saved something in the past? And hopefully, I'm saying something that's not particularly new to you guys, but we were saved in the past, and that's easier to understand, right? So I have testimony. When I was a kid, my mom and dad would pray with me every night, and they would read the Bible to me. My mom and dad would take turns. Usually it was my dad that would do it, but during tax season, uh, dad got home so late that he never was able to do it during tax season, so mom usually did it, and one night, after mom came up to read the Bible to me and pray. I remember it very well. I remember the sheets I had. I had these lamb sheets that were white, and then there were a few black ones. <laughs> so apparently those were the black sheets, sheeps of my sheets. And it was raining outside, and it was a stormy night, and I remember telling my mom I wanted to become a Christian that night, and that was the night I made the decision. That's kind of in the past, right? We can, that's easy to understand the past. And also, future salvation can some way be easy to understand in this sense. It's like when we talk about needing Christ to save us, why? There's so many difficulties in the world, right? We, we, sometimes we cause them ourselves. Sometimes we're the victim of them, right? Sometimes, you know, you see a child growing up and they have, you know, they either abused or they have difficulty in their life and it's nothing they chose. They didn't really do anything to deserve it. It's just sin is in the world and sin sometimes majorly affects us and really harms us and really hurts us. And so we say, oh, I cannot wait to be saved in the future from sin altogether, from the very presence of sin, where sin no longer, not only do I never sin anymore, but I no longer feel the effect of sin upon my life. No longer is other people sinning around me affecting me. No longer is my sin affecting me, but I am free from sin. Of course, this is going to happen in heaven, right? This is why we're on this earth. This is not how it's going to be. We have sin on this earth. But one day in the future, we will be free from sin completely. But then there is another type of salvation that we usually call sanctification. And that is during our life now, while we're living for Christ, even though we were saved in the past, and we know we're going to be saved in the future, we still say to ourselves, I need to be saved now. I am continually walking and growing in my relationship with Christ. I need to be improving, doing better, not making the same mistakes I was in the past and improving in my life, right? This is usually called sanctification, but we're being saved, right? We're hopefully improving in our life and walk with the Lord. Hopefully there's things that we struggled with, we do not struggle with now, and we do may have our ups and downs, but we have this present salvation. So, this past salvation also is saving us now in that sense. And he doesn't mention future salvation, but we could go to other passages and we'd see it. We go to verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, all that we do, all the songs that we sing and the music that we play and the the, the remodeling that we do, they really all focus on one thing. There's just this one event that makes it all matter, right? There's only one event. And if this event did not happen, if this event is not true, then all is for naught, right? And that is that Jesus Christ came and died. That he was buried and that he raised on the third day and according with the scriptures. And then 
We go on to a few more verses here, and these are, these are interesting. And we won't talk a lot about them individually, but I want you to think about this with me this morning. And that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 others at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Why do you think when talking about the death of Christ and the resurrection, he goes on to explain all the people that Jesus appeared to? Well, I'd like you to think about this. So oftentimes when people want to, you know, what they, what, they want to reject the gospel, they're ready to walk away, right? Or they want to modify it. They don't like parts of it or whatever. They just want to keep the parts that they want and don't want to keep the other parts that they don't want. So this is what we often do. We often really kind of start spiritualizing everything. So, hey, you know, Jesus is maybe he's a great guy. You know, I'm sure he's a great guy. Or even better yet, I can make it even simpler. The idea of Jesus is great. The concept of this wonderful man who came down and he tried to help people, he healed people, he's so and so. I mean, he's not real, right? He's not real. But this, he's like a superhero in our past that inspires us. In the same way, we might go watch a movie and we might go watch Superman and we go, yeah, Superman, he's great. You know, he's doing the right thing. He's saving people. Superman, I'm going to, I'm going to, get the S on my chest, and I want to be like Superman. And he is my hero, and I'm going to follow him. And so that is what we can, people can sometimes do with Christ. Christ becomes nothing more than the next Superman. He's great. He's wonderful. He's someone who we should aspire to, aspire to be like. He's someone we should follow, in a sense. Someone we should be like. But he's not really an actual person. Matter of fact, you just when that actor gets old, you just go find a new one, and they can be the next Jesus, right? In the same way, we can have a next Superman. This, while the way I'm explaining is a bit simplistic, it is 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 very accurate in the thinking of how people when they start denying the Bible, right? Jesus stops becoming a historical figure. We stop. We start taking him out of the historical narrative, and we just make him more of a mystical character, or more of like a more of like a comic book character that we should want to be like. And I think it is important to see that when he's describing Christ here in 1 Corinthians, he describes all the people that he appears to and all the people that he sees because this is a historic reality. He was like a real person, and they have real names, and he appeared to them to prove to them and that, this, that Christianity has to be rooted in historicity. Because of the time that you decide that Jesus really wasn't here and he's nothing more than a super superman, this is what I would say you should do. It is time to become intellectually honest and say, I am not a Christian. I just don't believe. I just don't believe. Because we want to cut it both ways. We want to say, oh, I'm a Christian. Because in and maybe in our culture, maybe our parents are, or maybe our family members are, or maybe our friends are. And so we still kind of want to hold the Christian label, or when we're with the right kind of people, we want to kind of say we're a Christian. But then sometimes it's not so convenient. And so then maybe when 
when it's not working out so well for us, when we want to have that, you know, we want to sleep with someone before we're married, suddenly we're not quite so hot on the Christianity thing. We just sort of say, ah, well, you know, it's just kind of a metaphorical thing. Not something I really need to follow. And I think the slippage away from believing in Christ needs to be, if you're being honest, not a slippage, but a break. You're either in or you're out. Jesus was here. He lived. You believe that he died and rose again for you, or you don't. Those are the two options, and we try to get so many options in between. We try to find so many different ways to be able to straddle the line, and I do not think there is a line. Jesus was a real person who came and died for us. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So he is saying, even though I was so terrible, even though I did something worse, likely this is worse than anything anyone in this room has probably ever done. So let's say someone in the room really did commit the murder out in the hallway. I don't think anyone did, right? For those of you who couldn't read, what that sign said was number of casualty, number of days since last casualty, and it had a number 99, and Ben came up and erased 99 and put zero, right? And then there was the, the outline of the dead body underneath the carpet. But let's say one of you actually killed someone and never got caught. Would you be worse than Paul? I doubt it, because Paul killed people in the name of stopping Christianity, in the name of stopping Christ, an antichrist in a sense. Likely, none of us are as bad as Paul, yet he was an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. I think one thing we cannot lose, that we cannot forget, that we cannot just not think about as much as we should is, if Christ coming and dying and raising from the dead is the core of Christianity, we cannot lose the life-changing power it has. The life-changing power that it has. If we stop having faith in the power of Christ to change lives, this is how we would think. We want a new member of the church, let's say. And we don't believe in the power of Christ to change lives. What kind of new member of the church do you want? Someone who's put together. Someone who's going to be consistent. Someone who already is financially stable. These are the direct type of people you are going to want to try to find. And those that aren't, those that are struggling, those that are hurting, those that can't get it together, those that are on welfare, those that are whatever, right? These are the people you do not want if you do not believe in the life-changing power of the gospel. But if you believe in the life-changing power of the gospel, what should we say? The person that does not have it all together, the person that is struggling with their life, the life-changing power of the gospel can turn them from someone struggling with sin to someone having victory over sin. And when we sometimes say the kind of people I want to reach are the kind of people I already get along with well, 
we are saying, because I don't believe in the power of the cross. I don't believe it's really going to change people. I don't believe they're really going to turn it around. You need to believe in the power of the cross. I hope it changed your life. Me, it was when I was a little kid with my sheepy sheets, right? And I hope that you have a time in your life in which you made the decision to put your faith and trust in Christ. I hope it changed your life. I hope it is the guiding principle of your life. I hope you are someone else that you wouldn't be because of the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We just pray as we sing Amazing Grace. We just sing about the way that you provided this free gift to us that we would remember the moment in which we decide that we made the choice, that we said, your amazing grace is so sweet, it saved a wretch like me. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.